0: We'll be looking at chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Now, although these are not the final verses in this letter, this message will serve as the conclusion to our series through the book of 1 Thessalonians. This morning, we are ending with a prayer, a benediction that Paul gives, praying for the church. The beautiful thing is that because of our Lord, this prayer is for us also. So please... Hear the word of the Lord from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 through 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Now, I don't know why this week in studying this passage, a moment from the Andy Griffith show came to my mind. Now, I still think that's the greatest television show ever, especially the black and white ones, the color ones, meh, but the black and white ones are classic. There's a moment where the Mayberry jail is going to be serving host to two hardened criminals that the state police are depositing there overnight. As you can imagine, Barney Fife is so excited that they finally have business at the Mayberry Jail. And as the criminals are brought in, Barney begins to show them and give them a tour of their jail cells, all two of them. And he makes mention. Barney says, here at the Rock, we have two rules. Rule number one, obey all rules. Rule number two, No writing on the walls, as it is hard to erase writing on the walls. Two simple rules. Well, I know what made me remember that is because in this passage, as Paul prays, there are two requests that he gives. Two requests. But these requests are based upon two truths about God part of God's character, and then God's promise. Now, the requests are very clear. The request is found in, both of them are found in verse 23, that God would sanctify us completely. That's the first request. The second request is this, that we would be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the two requests, but they are based upon the description of God found at the very beginning of verse 23. Notice where Paul, or to whom Paul directs this prayer. May the God of peace himself So we see that the God who is going to grant this is the God of peace. Now that word peace is a synonym for salvation. It's a way of describing being born again. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 tells us this. Now that we have been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, we now have what? Peace with God. A way of describing our relationship with God because of Jesus is that we are finally at peace with him. That is the only way we can have peace with God, through the death of Jesus Christ. Our works cannot make us be at peace with God. Our efforts cannot make us be at peace with God. It is simply the grace of God given us through Jesus Christ. He's the only way we can be at peace with God. It tells us that we are at enmity with God. We were enemies with God until God stepped in to reconcile us unto himself, giving us peace with him. Now, there's also a secondary meaning of peace. It's the Hebrew word shalom. It means well-being, harmony. It's as Horatio Spafford put it in that great hymn, being able to say, it is well with my soul. Now the idea of shalom and salvation cannot be disconnected from one another. I think both meanings are evident here because you cannot have one without the other. The only way we can truly say it is well with our souls is because of what God has done in saving our souls. And when we are saved, we can truly say it is well with me because we know we have eternal life. We have a relationship with God that can never, never be changed or destroyed. So the salvation that God gives us gives us peace with him and peace in our hearts. Now that peace, the salvation that comes from God can be described with three tenses, past, present, and future. Believer, when you are saved, you are justified. That's past tense. You are made right with God. The bill of sin that has been written against us is declared paid. Our guilty record expunged by the grace of God that has set us at peace with him, made us right with him. That word justified means to be made righteous with God. Any issues we had with God are settled at the cross where we are made whole. That is the past tense. Tense of salvation. The present tense is described by the word sanctification. Sanctification is the everyday experience we have as believers, as the Holy Spirit is working in our lives to make us what God desires for us to be. Sanctification is living what God has already accomplished in the cross. That's sanctification. Glorification is the end result. Glorification happens when Jesus returns and the dead in Christ rise to glorified bodies and we who are alive and remain are changed and given bodies that are no longer stained by sin. The process of sanctification is done at that moment. There's no more battling of desires. At that moment, the sinful desires that plague us are removed so that in glory, our only desire is for God and doing what entirely pleases Him that's why these two prayers, prayer requests to be sanctified and kept blameless, deal with sanctification and glorification. The closing prayer that Paul gives here is, first of all, that God would sanctify us. God himself would do this work. Now, the, the idea of sanctify simply means to live as God intends. To be sanctified means that you are living, thinking, thinking. Emoting as God would intend for you to emote, to live, to act, and to have all the attitudes that would please God. Now, that's what makes us odd to the world. You understand, the world is not consumed with living according to God's will. That's not a question the unbelieving world asks. The non believer never asks, God, what is your will? The unbelieving world simply does whatever they want to do that pleases them at the moment. But for believers, we are asking, God, what is your will? That's what makes us seem odd to the world. I came across this quote, and I liked it. Those who do not hear the music think the dancer is mad. Those that don't hear the music think the dancer's crazy. Those who are not seeking God's will think the world crazy. Think the church crazy. Back in the 1970s, the Christian group, the Imperials, had a song called The Trumpet of Jesus in which the chorus said, We march to the drumbeat of God Almighty while the others just wander around. That's sanctification. And notice as Paul prays for this, he says that God himself would sanctify you completely, all the way, totally. Nothing held back. The best illustration of this occurred with a man that approached Jesus one day. It was a man that was very wealthy. He had everything going for him. And he came to Jesus with this question, Master, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be right with God? And Jesus said, follow the Torah. Live according to that and you'll be saved. And the rich young ruler had his sense of, of pride and he said, I have done that. I have kept the laws since I was a young man. And as he turns to leave, Jesus says, just, oh, wait, 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 just one more thing. If you want eternal life, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. See, Jesus knew the man's heart. He knew that the one area he was holding on to and not seeking God's will in was the area of his money. Yeah, I'll be kind to my neighbor. I will be gen- I'll, I'll, I'll reach out and, and show love to those around me. But when it comes to my money, it's my money. So Jesus, like a good doctor, pinpoints where the problem is. If you want to follow me, sanctification must be total. Every aspect of life. See, him says the only way to be happy in Jesus is to trust and obey. And that's in every aspect of life. If we're holding areas back from the Lord, we can't expect to have well-being. We won't experience shalom if there's an area that we are holding on to saying, Lord, you can only come this far, but no further. The Lord wants us to know his well-being in every aspect of our lives. Now, the second request is very similar to that. Notice he says, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. Let's start with that, that phrase, be kept. It's a phrase that's saying, and it's clear, that God is the one keeping our souls. God is keeping our, our being blameless. That word kept means to be placed under guard, under guard, to be secure. It means that God is watching over our lives, that we would be kept blameless. I want you to think about the incredible power of that promise. Think about some of the most secure buildings in the world. Think, for example, about the CIA headquarters at Langley, Virginia. Do you think you can just walk up to the CIA headquarters and say, Hey, I hear they're giving a tour at noon. I'm here for it. You can't even get on the road to the CIA building. If the CIA is that secure, how much more are we secure with God who never sleeps or slumbers? The Pentagon is recognized as one of the most secure buildings in the world. It is equipped to stand against chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear attacks. No matter what is thrown at it, that building will stand now. How much better is God who has said, you are mine, I will stand over you like a warrior singing over that one whom he loves. Fort Knox is the depository of a large percentage of the world's gold. It is a building surrounded by steel fences, A building made of concrete lined granite surrounded by 40,000 troops at Fort Knox Army Base. That's a secure place. Child of God, you are even more secure with God because if God has given Christ for your salvation, do you think for one moment that He is going to let His guard down and give up on you? Our God is guarding over us so that, notice the prayer request, to be kept blameless. That means moral purity. To be blameless is to be found acceptable before God. To be made right in Christ speaks of our security in Christ because it is in him that we are kept blameless before God. Notice this is total also. Paul doesn't repeat the word completely. Instead, he gives a, a picture, your whole spirit and soul and body. Now, there are those who chase a rabbit trail here and say, well, that's describing the tripartite being of man. It's a, score, it's a course in anthropology. I don't think that's the point at all. By the way there are other places in the scripture where paul only uses spirit and body or soul and body jesus talked about him who wants to kill the soul and the body and jesus also said to love the lord your god with every part of your being your body mind soul and spirit and strength the point here is not that we are three parts in being a human the point is this that everything about you will be kept blameless by god everything Nothing left undone. Your thinking will be found blameless before God in Christ. Your attitude blameless before God in Christ. Everything covered with the righteous blood of Christ. That is our security. While back, Jody and I binged on one of the shows that Gordon Ramsey is famous for. And I, I do warn you, if you do turn on one of his shows, bring earplugs. This show, he would come in and he would redo a kitchen in 24 hours. Give it new equipment, give training. It was, it was amazing though because invariably when that kitchen reopened, there would be problems. And often the problems were this, the food would still be undercooked. They would have all this new equipment and new training and they would prepare this chicken dish and Chef Ramsay would cut into it and say it looks good on the outside, but look on the inside. It's still raw. You can't serve this. It's not done. When Paul says that God will keep you spirit, soul, and body, he is saying that the outside will be pleasing to God, the inside will be pleasing to God, and so that we are right with God because of the power of God in Jesus. In other words, it's not just an external righteousness. It's internal also. That every part of our lives will be kept acceptable, and notice the scope of this. At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, He's saying that when you stand before Him, you will be found blameless because God has kept you. Not because of our righteousness, but because of His. See, that's the ultimate question. When you stand before God, will you be right with Him? That's the question. To be prepared for that moment that will come to every person one day. When you stand before God, will you be right with Him? A few weeks ago, I came across a Netflix documentary that I confess I got hooked on and watched. It was a documentary about Leonard Skinner. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, okay? If you're not aware, that band and, well, 26 people were on a plane that crashed on October 20th, 1977 outside of Macomb, Mississippi. Six members of the band were killed in that crash. The bodyguard of the lead singer, Ronnie Van Zant, was telling about that experience. The guard's name is Gene Odom. Gene said he remembered it very well. Now, Leonard Skinner, they were not choir boys by any stretch of the imagination. Gene Odom said that after the plane took off and was in the air, it was a typical flight. They were playing cards. There was drinking going on. It was typical. But then the announcement was made. We're going to crash. Probably within the next 10 to 15 minutes, this plane's going down. Gene Odom said there was something amazing that happened. He said, as everyone sat down and buckled in, he said, it was silent. Except for prayers. Prayers. He said in those moments when they believed death was imminent, they began praying. They weren't saying, give me another beer. They weren't saying, let's sing another song. He said, they began crying out to God, save us. We want to be ready. That's the question. If you talk with somebody and you ask them, are you ready to meet the Lord? And they say, yes, I'm ready. Ask them then, what makes you ready? And if they answer anything other than the blood of Jesus Christ, they're not ready. Because on that day, it will not be our works that save us. It will not be our works that keep us saved. It will be faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's why Paul says, Lord, keep them blameless. Trust them. That's why this promise in verse 24 is incredible. You see, the two requests are prayed with confidence because why? He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. God will complete his work. Now, this in no way negates commands that are found not only in 1 Thessalonians and elsewhere of to be holy, And you say, well, how does that work? How does God keep us blameless, but we're commanded to be blameless? And I can't explain how those two come together other than the truth that ultimately it is God who will see us through. And what that means is when we are discouraged and thinking that we have failed, that our sins are so great, God could never overcome them, or that God has given up on us. Believer, remember, our God always completes the work he begins you know how tragic it is for a marathoner to start on the race get to mile 25 and then stop you'd say don't do that our God does not stop Or think about rooting for your favorite team as that running back has the ball. And he gets to the one yard line and trips and falls and doesn't get across the end zone. Our God never fails. Or watching that race car driver get around and on the final lap as he's winning to wreck and not win. That never happens with our God. Our God will complete the work he begins within us. So we rest confident in him. Satan wants to beat us up with guilt and condemnation. And we need to hold on to the truth that in Christ there is no condemnation. Why? Because God who called us is faithful. That is our hope. That is why Paul prays confidently. He'll sanctify us. He will keep us blameless. Praise him today. Thank him for that. Sharing communion reminds us that when God saves He saves to the uttermost, and he saves irrevocably. We can truly say, great is your faithfulness, O God of my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. You change us not. Your compassions, they fail not. As you have been, you forever will be. Great is your faithfulness. I want to ask you to bow with me now and just praise God just a moment I'm going to walk down and I'll be in the front if you need to respond in some way to this message and I plead with you if you are not ready to meet God don't let today end without pursuing what it means to be a follower of Jesus I'll be here at the front to talk with you, to pray with you. If you have questions about following Christ and what that means, what we'll do is we'll just, I'll have you to have a seat here on the front row. And when the service is over, we'll stay right here and we'll talk and discuss about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Others of you have placed your faith in Christ and you have no doubt about that. However, you also know the devil has been coming after you. Your flesh has been attacking you with guilt. This may be the morning you just need to come back and say, Lord, you promised, you have called me, and you are faithful, and I will trust in the righteousness of Jesus. The kneeling benches are open if you just want to come and pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that the work of Christ is sufficient. I thank you, O God, there's nothing we can add to nor subtract from what Jesus has done in his death and resurrection. In him we stand righteous. And for that we give you the glory, Father, for we know that our own righteousness is as filthy rags. That, Father, were we commanded to work to keep our salvation, we would fail. So, Lord, this morning we give you the praise offering of thanksgiving for our Lord Jesus Christ. In him we stand. Amen.